It's Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. You can thank me later. Download the Alive Podcast app for free or subscribe for $20 for six months to experience ad-free listening. As BIPOC folks, we grow up in a white system. So in the system that we're already in, I don't, we're already taught on how to understand whiteness, but I already understand blackness because that's the only way I know how to be. And when I'm bringing my blackness into therapy, I think my clients really get a sense of that authenticity. I don't have to try to do anything else. I'm just authentically me. Welcome to Sex and Color, the show featuring all things sex and sexual wellness from BIPOC voices in the field. I'm your host, Adriel Collins. I am an LPC, sex therapist, coach, educator, struggling PhD student, as well as a self-proclaimed sex nerd. I am also the owner of Melanin Sex Therapy in Dallas, Texas. So today's guest, I have been looking forward to talking to for quite some time now, Kelvin Pace. He is a licensed professional counselor. He owns K-Space Counseling in Anchorage, Alaska, which is an online counseling platform. He is a certified sex therapist and also a newly certified sex therapy supervisor, making him one of the few black male sex therapy supervisors in America. So Kelvin, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with me today. Thank you for having me, Adriel. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So you also specialize in consensual non-monogamy helping individuals with kink. Um, Like I said, you are a sex therapist, a sex therapy supervisor. So can you tell us a little bit about what brought you into the field of sex therapy? Yes, it's, it's, it started a long time ago. Um, So I was in the military with 82nd. And when we were 18 and 19 years old, when we first came in, and we're just a bunch of guys, a bunch of medics, and we were interested in all things sex. And we were interested in sex, but no one was having sex. <laughs> and so, yeah, we'd, we'd brag about these things, but it was, it was really a cool time of curiosity, I think, in my lifetime, because we would, we would watch videos of sex surrogates and uh, different things. When I got stationed in Alaska after I left Fort Bragg, one of the things that started happening was a lot of my infantry guys that I worked with would start asking me questions about sex and relationships. And so the only knowledge I had was from Loveline and from Sex or Dating for Dummies, those little books that they had back in the day. And um, then there were partners started asking me questions and I was like, wow, this is maybe something I should get into. I didn't know the field of sex therapy existed. And I um, was watching an old show. It was called Berman and Berman with Dr. Laura Berman and I believe her sister-in-law, who was a urologist. Yeah, I remember that show. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was watching. I was like, wow, she's doing sex therapy with these people. And I was like, that would be so cool to get out of a uniform, wear a nice suit and sit on the couch and talk about sex with couples. 
And so, yes, yeah. And so I told my wife now the back, the caveat to this is I was born, um, not born. Well, I could say born into Southern being a Southern Baptist. My wife was Catholic and I looked at her. I said, babe, I want to be a sex therapist. And she looked at me. She hugged me. She was like, you could be whatever you want. Just don't tell our parents. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. So um, but that's how I started the journey. And then um, I, I swear, I swore that after I finished a bachelor's degree, I was going to be this cool psychologist that was going to be doing sex therapy until I got hit with the reality check that I needed more advanced degree in order to do that. Yeah. And you became that cool sex therapist. And what made me reach out to you, like I said, um, I think that is really dope that you are a black male sex therapist, because one, there aren't that many black male therapists to begin with. But as you dive into our field, you know, like it gets smaller and smaller and like less diverse and less diverse. And so do the clients that you work with, do you get a lot of black males that reach out to you? And tell me about what that experience is. So actually, I don't, unless they are referred to me by the military, and which is cool because um, Tricare has recognized me as one of their um, as one of their go to people for sex therapy. So oh, really? um, I see a wow. lot of yeah, I see a lot of. Um, Black men that are active duty military in my practice, because um, Anchorage, the population of black men is pretty small, so there's not a whole lot. But when they do see other black folks, it's through the military. Yeah. And how how is that? Because and I think like that's also pretty dope, too, that TRICARE recognizes you as a sex therapist, because I get a lot of clients wanting to use insurance and sex therapy isn't covered under insurance. So I do work with a lot of vets, a lot of people in the military, and they just, they come in with a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, which can cause like erectile dysfunction issues, painful sex. Is that kind of what you see when you work with uh, active duty or vets or things like that? Yes. Um, actually, there was a small study back in 2015 that looked at combat veterans that found that 86 to 89% of male or female combat veterans experience sexual dysfunction in some way or form, which is higher than depression. Wow. And so when they're coming in, I'm working with either low libido or not interested in sex because of either combat-related trauma or military sexual trauma or working with um, erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Because of the PTSD. Yeah. That, see, I learned something new today and I'm going to share that stat with everyone so I can sound super smart and like I know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> <laughs> I think that it does make sense when you, when you break those numbers down that active duty and vets and people who have experienced combat do have um, higher levels of sexual dysfunctions versus civilian folks. And like I said, I'm glad TRICARE is recognizing the need for sex therapy and the need for talking about sex. So with you work with couples as well, and just to kind of shift gears and topics, because I really wanted to ask you about your work with consensual non-monogamy, because I also think that that is really cool that you work with that as well. So say a couple calls you and like they are interested in consensual non-monogamy and they have no idea like what the hell 
um, consensual non-monogamy is. What is that process? Like, how do you work with people? How do you introduce that topic to couples if they don't bring it up themselves or if they are interested in it? Oh, I started from the first time that we make contact. And that first contact is usually through my paperwork. Um, I have them, I ask them about their relationship orientation. And I break it down as far as being consensually non-monogamous, monogamous, or monogamish. And so a lot of couples will come in and they'll be like, yeah, okay, we're monogamous. But then a couple of sessions later, they'll be like, hey, we want to go back to this topic right here. Yeah. What, what is this? <laughs> and so we'll start talking about it. And then they start thinking about what where their relationship currently is. Because a lot of times when we get married, monogamy is assumed and not talked about. And so we really want to help them move to a place of where they're feeling comfortable and that this is a normal conversation. And I try to really normalize um, consensual non-monogamy for them if they're interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I have asked the question in sessions to couples, why monogamy? And maybe it's because I live in Texas and I'm in the South. Like people look at me like, what? Mm-hmm. And it is like yeah. you're saying, you know, monogamy is the default. Monogamy is what we have been taught to recognize as the norm. And a lot of people don't see anything else as an option. And sometimes people get really excited about having an option. And sometimes people get really scared that there's another option. And what does this mean for their relationship? And so, Education on consensual monogamy, because I know I've worked with people in the past who have thought that that means that, you know, it's okay to cheat. So what does your education, I know you said it starts in the paperwork, um, but what else does that education look like besides explaining and talking about consensual non-monogamy? So I moved through it with educating on how to communicate with each other. So then that way we're talking mainly about our emotions rather than the behaviors, because I think that's an important part as we're moving through trying to define what their relationships are. And actually, even in the intake process, I make sure that I help the couple understand that this is their relationship, not their mama's relationships, not the teacher, uh, the church's relationship, but it's their relationship and they get to experience it how they want to experience it. And so when I go into the education piece talking about consensual non-monogamy, I'm really looking at that consensual part in the umbrella term and helping them understand that it's an umbrella term for a whole bunch of different relationship orientations. And so it's different from cheating because cheating is going behind our our partner's backs. It's being dishonest and it's really not a couple's journey or, or, or a partner's journey through the thing is more people taking these individual steps by themselves. So I really try to educate them on that. Um, Franklin Vo has a relationship chart mm-hmm. that I like to pull out for everyone. And so that they get to see it and they're like, whoa, we didn't know all these different relationship orientations existed. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that is 
interesting. I've never heard of the relationship chart, so I'll definitely have to check it out. And yeah, I really want to reiterate that consensual non-monogamy is consensual. It's it's not cheating. It's not going behind your partner's back. It is respect for the relationship and respecting the partner. And both uh, people in the relationship have a say. And it is all about communication and not just the act of going out and finding someone or dating someone. And so I think that that's a piece that gets lost if you don't like do it through like the proper way. So you have mentioned like your wife is Catholic. You grew up Southern Baptist. How do you help people work through religion when it comes to just sex or even consensual non-monogamy and things like that? Oh yeah, it's it's that's a little bit more difficult because a lot of um and, and everyone has their own spirituality, their own religious practice, and that's something that I don't shame people for. What I try to bring them back to is what is your relationship between your spirituality and your sexuality and how do we decrease the shame and guilt surrounding that piece? So then that way couples can try to integrate all parts of themselves into a healthy sex life with their partners. And so that's one of the ways that I try to slow it down for them is to just, let's take a breath. Let's reduce some shame and guilt. Let's move into a place of how do we integrate all of these pieces with them? Yeah. Yeah. I think that it is important not to shame. I have seen people say, well, why don't you just leave your religion? Why why don't you just stop practicing your religion? And for a lot of people, religion is a very important part of their lives, even if they don't practice it. The things that they have been taught in their religion, the morals, the feelings they have about their religion are very central and important. And I think, you know, absolutely like marrying the two and getting to the root of the shame and guilt about what religion says about sexuality because our bodies were created by God or spirituality. And I think it's just getting people past that point without without shaming them. So did you ever tell your parents that that you're a sex therapist? Oh, my parents and my um, wife's parents know, and they love it. They get a kick out of it. They're just, they're just, they're just like, oh, this is cool. And, you know, some, my, my wife's dad, he'll ask me questions in a joking manner, and we, and we tease around and have a good time with it. But, yeah, they're very – both of um, my parents and my in-laws are very supportive of everything we do. Um, I think a lot of – our shame and guilt around it because of being raised Catholic and Southern Baptist was we were more um, had shame and guilt when it came to those institutions. And, and when we sat down and talked to our parents, our parents are just easy and going about it. We thought it would be our parents that would be like, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing that. But no, they're both really good. As a matter of fact, my wife, she's getting her certification to be a sex therapist as well. Oh, wow. Yay. Congratulations to her. I have two sex therapists. So you're a parent, correct? Yes. Yes. So how, and I'm a parent as well. So when your kids were younger, did they know like you did sex therapy and like, how did those conversations go? Because like, I'm still like navigating. My son is like dying of embarrassment when he, when he found out what I did. 
Same with my kids. Is yeah. you know, I had a lot of old stuff from the way I grew up and how I raised my kids around sexuality. Once I started to um, become a sex therapist, then I eased up, started changing my thought process around everything. And then just so happens they have a dad that's a sex therapist and a mom that's a nurse. So whenever their friends came over, it was just like open talks about things, of course, with consent. You know, we didn't try to force our beliefs on healthy sexuality on their friends because that wasn't the space. But we did talk about, like, if they were bringing people over, we were like, oh, there's condoms over there. Talk about safe sex. Talk about all the things that need to be talked about without a lot of shame and guilt. And my kids were just like, eh. They're like, yeah, that's just mom and dad. Yes, I know. When I was teaching, I would have like condoms all over the place. And he's my son is like, why are there so many condoms all over the place? I'm like, you know what I do for a living. That's that's why there's so many <laughs> yeah. condoms all over the place. So exactly. I think that that is, that is awesome. And you have given me inspiration that he will thank me when he gets older for being as open and honest and having conversations about healthy sexuality and and things like that. So I always like to ask people who are parents how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think by being open with them, especially in their teenage years, really changed the dynamic of our relationships now that my kids are adults. I have a um, 27 and a 24-year-old. They're 27 and 24 now. And so they can come and talk to us about everything under the sun. And it's just like, don't you have friends to talk to about this? We're like, yeah, no, we're coming to talk to you. Yes. You're the expert. <laughs> friends don't know what they're yeah, talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so my last question before I let you go. So this is sex and color and it is about BIPOC voices. So how do you bring that into how do you how you work with your clients? How do you bring your blackness into your work? I thought hard about this because I was like, one of the things is I don't know how to be anybody else but me. Right. And so when I come into therapy, I'm just bringing all of me. We, as BIPOC folks, we grow up in a white system. So, or, and so in the system that we're already in, I don't, I, we're, we're already taught on how to understand whiteness, but I already understand blackness because that's the only way I know how to be. And when I'm bringing my blackness into therapy, I think my clients really get a sense of that authenticity. I don't have to try to do anything else. I'm just authentically me. And sometimes that can put off some of my white clients because they're like, oof, who's this, right? Because I'm direct, I'm, I'm fun, I'm easy, I'm laid back. But when my black clients come in, we're speaking that same language. We have a lot of we know what it is to be in this society. And so we can connect with small nuances that most people won't quite get just because of the same struggles and the things that we've been through. And when we look at how especially Black men come in with sex therapy, I do have to be a little bit more cautious, I think, than other people. 
just because of the real world um, implications or consequences that may come with it. As a black man, I don't hug my clients. I don't do anything with my clients in that regards is where I know a lot of people are like, oh yeah, hug my clients. I do this. And my thoughts like, man, I do not want to be on the front page of the newspaper. Yes, true. (laughs) So I, so I'm very cautious in how I connect with my clients. I try to keep everything very above board and very static when it comes to showing my emotions during therapy, because it's not about my emotions. It's not about me in therapy. It's about my client. So I really try to keep that really static. And so those are the, the, the positives and the negatives about being an African-American male in therapy, because you have that real world sense that I could, if if someone says, Hey, I did something inappropriate as a sex therapist, especially like an African-American male, I'm going to have to prove my innocence way before that they have to prove their guilt or prove my guilt. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that is a whole nother <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the show. And yeah, you know, being a black clinician, working with black clients and, you know, we didn't even get into that today. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'll probably have to ask you back for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to get into like the historical gravity of like sex and, and blackness and things like that. So, mm-hmm. but Kelvin, thank you so much for coming on and agreeing to be a part of the pod. Uh, Could you let people know where to get in touch with you if they want to reach out, talk to you, make an appointment? Yes. um, My website is kpacecounseling.net. You can also find me on um, Instagram under kpace37. And I'm on Facebook under Counseling. LLC. My email address is kpacecounseling at gmail.com. And so, yeah, those are the different ways you could reach out to me. I got rid of my Twitter after all of this fiasco that's going on. So, is Twitter know. a thing anymore? I thought, uh, it, I thought it died. You know, I thought Black Twitter was still there, but you know. Okay, well, that's the only Twitter that I recognize. <laughs> <Exactly>. so. <laughs> is there another Twitter? No, not at all. <laughs> So, but yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. That's a wrap for today's episode of Sex and Color. Don't forget that we are part of the Alive Podcast Network and you can subscribe for ad-free listening. New episodes drop every Tuesday and you can also follow me wherever you get your podcast. Also follow me on Instagram at Sex and Color Pod. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'm Adriel Collins and this has been Sex and Color. Sex and Color.